It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. The last ball has dropped on Philippe Chatrier, and it is Talking Tennis live on YouTube and Twitch. And uh, we're here to discuss everything that's happened on day nine of Roland Garros 2023. And I'm very pleased to have to see the return of Mr. Miles David of Missing the Point Pod. <laughs> How are you doing, Miles? You were like 99% correct on that intro because I'm happy to be here, but I changed the name of my podcast. It's Tuned Into Tennis. It's yes, all good. you are it's right. It is Tuned Into <laughs> Tennis. Um, I'm living in 2022. <laughs> yeah, the, the days, the actually most of the years of this whole decade have uh, skimmed and screwed together, but we're here and I'm happy to be back on Talking Tennis. Yeah, so yeah, please do not search the name of the podcast. Like previously mentioned, please search Tuned Into Tennis. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so Miles is back and ready to um, to discuss all things Roland Garros. Um, let's launch into it. Generally, what happens on the show, uh, certainly the way Damien's been presenting it um, over the last week or so, and thank you very much to Damien for all his hard work and basically carrying the entire show on his shoulders mm-hmm. uh, for a week. Um, what uh, we usually do is we start with the women and then we move on to um, the men's results. Um, I think let's maybe start with um, the, the probably the, the the most interesting women's match of the day, which was the almost four hour epic that was Beatrice Haddad Mayo against Sara Cerebes Tormo. We knew it was going to be a grind fest going in because we knew how those two liked to play. They ended up playing the longest match of the year, which is not a surprise in retrospect, but 
if you enjoy that kind of tennis, which I do, it was an absolute feast. Um, Miles, did you, uh, what were your thoughts on it? I mean, I don't know what matches you've seen or not, but uh, yeah, talk me through that result if you haven't uh, seen it. Yeah, I am super excited for Beatrice Haddad Maya, and it kind of feels like as a tennis fan and um, a spectator of hers, it's all come full circle. Because if you guys remember, Beatrice Haddad Maya went on that really good run pre-Wimbledon last year, and then yeah. it kind of, for lack of a better term, it kind of just fizzled out as she lost in the first round of Wimbledon after winning two back-to-back two back-to-back warm-up tournaments. But when I first laid eyes on Beatrice Adamaya, I believe it was a clay court event in, like, Columbia somewhere. And I thought, oh, like, she's tall, she's a lefty, two things I, rec- I uh, resonate with, and she's a really good clay quarter. So then to see all of those grass court results happen was just like, huh, head-scratching. And now fast-forward to here we are. She finally makes the quarterfinals of a Grand Slam after all of the good WTA-level results she's had over the years. And it's at Roland Garros, where I feel like hurts the the grind mentality of her game the the big hitting the ability to stay in a point and keep things neutral even though when you look at her game she is necessarily like a someone else from south america like osorio serrano they don't necessarily have the same structure of their games but the fight and the grit and the ability to grind out points is all there and she's in the quarterfinals of a grand slam and i'm super happy for her yeah, I'm super happy to too. It's about time, really, given the trajectory her career's had and um, the results that she had last year, not just on grass, but also getting to the final in uh, Canada. Yeah. Uh, I'm, yeah, I think it's it's great for her career. There's part of me that also kind of wanted Cerebez Tormo to win it because of kind of the the big matches she's had over the last few years. Um, obviously, that match with Kerber at Wimbledon in 21, uh, beating Ash Barty at the Olympics. Um, it would be uh, it would have been a nice moment for her, but obviously they both couldn't win. Um, um, and it was an epic, and it was um, yeah, as I said, I, like lots of long rallies, brutal hitting, um, both throwing in some surprises. Uh, yeah, had admire. Um, yeah, very excited to see what she uh, for her, and like you said, um, interested to see what she what she's going to do in the quarterfinals. Um, Against uh, the winner on well, on the same rather the same time, it was on Philippe Chatrier, mm-hmm. um, Ange Jabeur, um, who came through against Bernarda Parra in what was a bit of an odd match, really. I don't know if you saw any of it. Again, I was kind of following it, but uh, that was a break fast first set to Ons taking control and kind of working this kind of more um, angle variety to her advantage as she usually does. Um, so, uh, yeah, great result from. Uh, Ferrons uh, finally into the quarterfinals of um, the of Roland Garros, having been where she should be. Yes. yes, where she should be. I think it's really interesting um, that 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 match kind of played out exactly how I thought it would, which is not something I say a lot for Ange Jabour matches, at least recently. Like sometimes it can go completely opposite, and she is a player in general that has a lot of variety, so you're not quite sure how things are going to play out, but. With Bernarda Pera, like she's an American lefty that I've I've seen play some really really good matches, but then I've also seen her kind of put in some clunkers, and I just aired on the side that because it was her first fourth round because she was playing a top eight seed and she's good on clay but she can also be kind of erratic i thought all of that would play into Anjabor's hand and it kind of did like once the match really got into the the um 
the meat and potatoes of things, I guess, if you will. An just kind of went away with it and showed that she's way more comfortable on the surface and in that moment because she's been to quarterfinals now of every Grand Slam. So good for Anz. Yes, she has. I was like, yes, yes, she has because uh, she's been to the quarterfinals of all of them. You're right. Yeah. And you know, that's a good achievement to tick off your list. Um, I think something I just need, I, I might look up at some point is who's done, who else has done that. Um, it's going to be a long list. I'm thinking WTA. So... Yeah, so maybe I'm, people... I'm... Oh, Pavlyuchinkova has, has the set to her name. Yeah. Pavlyuchinkova has the set to her name. And now Sabalenka does too. Sabalenka's yep. been to the quarters or better of every major. So yeah, pretty good names. Um, I'm seeing uh, a question in the uh, in the chat. Um, yeah, um, well, first of all, yeah. John's pointing out that Carolina Mukova is one away as well from completing the quarterfinal set, just needs the US Open. Um, Ghost is saying that um, Ons apparently is talking like she can win this thing. Is she delusional or no? <laughs> Honestly, I don't think she's too delusional. I just think she has a lot of work to do. And if we go off the basis of just her 2023 season. It seems like a little bit of a stretch, especially when you consider that she'd have to go through Swiatek and then maybe Sabalenka in the final. But I don't think it's impossible. I, I feel like Anz's whole, um, what she brings to tennis is kind of like defying the odds and breaking down the impossible. So if she does it here, that would really be kind of poetic, especially considering that she lost here on the opening Sunday, first round last year. So yeah, mm. I'm, now, now that, now that, uh, <laughs> now that ghost has put that into the, into the internet ether, I guess I'm kind of hoping for it. I, th- I still think a Swiatek Sabalenka final would be beneficial because it's one versus two. It's the past, uh, or two of the past three Grand Slam champions going head to head, but Ons in there, kind of jabbing and throwing her in her variety, would be very fun. Yeah, I reckon Ons uh, in any match is is going to be fun. <laughs> let's be honest. Uh, and uh, I really want an Ons eager semi final. Um, like I think that's going to be the best possible semi final um, out of the options we've got. Um, I know, depending on who you're a fan of and who you're not. Um, but I can't, I, I think there's, there's potentially interesting combinations in there. Um, I think we would probably be hyping Ons more if she hadn't got injured in Stuttgart. Um, if she'd made, say, some deep runs in Madrid. I mean, if she played Rome, or no, no, she did play Rome, but she had a really awful draw against Bedosa. Yeah. Um, but if she'd come into Rome with a bit more form and wasn't trying to do recovery, that was a winnable tournament for her, um, given what happened and how we saw everything kind of play out. Um, so I'm not surprised that she's in a position. Obviously, um, I am the, on the ons optimism train, um, and have been since the start of the tournament. Um, and, uh, everyone was kind of going, Nick, why have you put ons at number four in your pre-Roland Garros power ranking? Um, like, well, this is why, this is why. Um, so I think she's, um, I think it's great to have her in the mix. I like you, do not think it's unlikely for her to win um, the title, uh, but she might have a bit of a matchup problem with Iga Sviantek, um, who is still in the tournament, is in the quarterfinals, but barely had to play a set today because her opponent was clearly unwell. She had her blood pressure taken during the match and eventually pulled out 5-1 down. Um, frankly, it was a surprise it wasn't 6-love because I think Iga kind of she was up for love. 
she, she was up four love and then Eget played a dodgy game. Otherwise, it would have been change events, five love, played another game, six love, job done, set over. Um, so Eget kind of cheated herself out of a bag a little bit. But um, yeah, Serenko wasn't really um, fit by the look of it. Um, which is a little bit disappointing. And I'm wondering whether this might disrupt Eager's momentum a little bit. Um, I actually think it shouldn't, just given the fact that she's kind of not really had to sweat most of the tournament. Like the first the first two opening sets of her first two rounds, she won them 6-4. For a normal person that's not number one in the world and has shown the kind of like determination and just complete killer instinct that Sviatek had, but we might think that's very, you know, ordinary and workmanlike, but for her specifically at Roland Garros, those kind of results did raise an eyebrow mildly, but then she followed them up with six love in the second set against Buksha and Lu, And then also the dreaded double bagel. If you're a, a Wang Xinyu fan in the third round. So I'm not too concerned. I think there's just something, and I've kind of just been, I've, I've been feeling myself say this about Sweetie for the last two weeks. I feel like there's something very Justine in a maybe, if mm-hmm. we, if I, if I want to be a little extreme, Steffi Graf, because I remember looking back at some old, old score lines of Steffi Graf at the French Open, and they were very similar, like just completely having her Stella foot on too. the. Sellish, yes, 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 yes. Just having her. What well, I have to do better at them, keeping. Yeah. I have to have to do better at keeping Monica Sellis in the conversation. Thanks, thanks <laughs> for reminding me. But yeah, it it just is very dominant oriented. Very, you know, um, not not having very large lapses. And if she does have one, it's a culmination of a game, and then she kind of just gets right back on the horse, which I feel like is what you want to see in on world number one. So I'm not too concerned that she is. I guess lacking a set to play <laughs> <laughs> making no sadly we're not having Monica Sellers which is a shame because she, she'd be absolutely fascinating to talk to and one day we will one day that's going to be the headline Monica Sellers on Talking Tennis <laughs> I don't think Sellers gives interviews really the only mm-hmm. time I see Monica Sellers um well, maybe I shouldn't say only but one of the few times I can kind of count on seeing her amongst the tennis public is at Indian Wells I'm not sure that she stays very far I think she just likes the environment which who doesn't if you've ever been to Indian Wells um, yeah, but always every every year I always see like her being shown on the on the big screen while she's enjoying a match. So I think she keeps a low profile. She just does her like, you know, her uh special speaking mm-hmm. events and maybe is still an author, I believe. Yes. But, yeah. Um okay. Um yeah, I think that's uh um yeah, that's an interesting I, I yeah, definitely interesting situation. I, I think she'd be an interesting person to talk to but I don't know whether she wants to talk about the things that people would ask her about. So I think there's going to be very, very rare. Yeah. Instance. Do you um, think Serenko would take a question about how often she retires in a press conference? <laughs> um, no, I don't think it would go down very well. I feel like it's a, a big in the, in the space that we're in um, with specific French open questions in, in the press room. I feel like that one, we've gotten to a point where it's, Fair-ish, um, or or depending on who you ask, completely fair to ask Sorenko, like, hey, like, not judging you necessarily for your retirement, but this is the fifth retirement or walkover you've put in in the past in eleven tournaments you've played this year, which is not a great ratio. Nope. How how would you describe 
how would you explain that? How would you describe that? If if I was if I was given the opportunity, I feel like it would be dodging a very elephant in the room. You know, like um, it's never it's never good to see from a bunch of different perspectives. From her perspective, I'm sure it's not great to have to walk to the net and be like, hey, I cannot continue this match. And then also, I'm speaking from a fan perspective, not that Licia Serenko is, um, you know, high up in the marketability or well-known rafters of women's tennis, but the people that look at a schedule either the day before or well in advance that want to pay money for a schedule, it would be kind of a bummer to to look at her name and have a developing kind of storyline like, oh, she might retire from this match. That that can't be good either, you know? Well, we'll make a note on Talking Tennis. If any of us get the opportunity to um, speak to Lacey Serenko at a tournament, um, then uh, let's um, then then we'll see if we can put that question forward. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So Iga Svantec is through. She will play um, Coco Goff, whose uh, name just flashed up on the screen as just this. Yes, I will be at the the event in the Birmingham, UK um, for a couple of days, um, work permitting. Um Let's just uh, let's see how that goes, but uh, that should be a that'll be a fun event. It's only like forty minutes away from me, so um, I can is get Birmingham that. the second week of the lead up to Wimbledon? I believe yes, it's the same weekend. It's the same week as um, Queens Club and Berlin and Halle. Got you. So that means you're going to come on over to talk uh, to tuned into tennis and give us your review or thoughts about the WTA events in Birmingham. Great. Awesome. I mean, if, if you want, if you if you want to book me in, book me in. Um, Nick, you're I'll, literally you're literally in my notes already for grass court season, so it's fine. <laughs> okay, brilliant, brilliant. Like, I'll make sure it doesn't clash with me recording WTA Weekly, um, which will be returning after Roland Garros. Stay tuned. All, for more all things can that. happen. All things, all things can happen. There's so much room for tennis talk. I mean, like this is going way off a tangent. Genuinely, the Friday before Roland Garros started, I ended up recording two podcasts back to back because whilst I was recording the popcorn tennis podcast, I got a message from Vanch saying, Hey, can you jump on tennis and bagels in like 20 minutes? I'm like, Yeah, sure. Like, we'll be wrapping up in about 20 minutes. I can do that. <laughs> Why not? Why not? We, I think all of us, uh, including Talking Tennis and John, are trying to like collaborate and usher in an, a wave of new media in tennis. I've been seeing that phrase quite often on timelines and stuff like that. And I guess that's part of the course of, of creating new media. You just have to be ready and flexible and ready to talk about the sport that you like and cover. Uh, Max is asking whether Birmingham's additional clay court. No, no, Birmingham's grass. It's a grass court warm up. <laughs> um and uh Yelena no Yankovic would be offended at that question. Ghosty. Yeah. <laughs> or Mac. Who asked the question? Uh it was Max. Yeah. Max. Yelena Yankovic would be offended at that question or any any other previous Go- Ghost <laughs> is saying that apparently American Birmingham has or Birmingham, I should say, um, has a huge statue of the Roman god Vulcan keeping watch over the city. Um, what you all got. And I'm like, well, Birmingham's a giant tower that kind of inspired Sauron's tower from Lord of the Rings. True story. 
Um, J.R.R. Tolkien apparently lived in Birmingham, and um, it, apparently it was his inspiration for Mordor. <laughs> That's all oh, you wow. need to know. <laughs> ghost, ghost. I am maybe I can't be more than three or four <laughs> hours away from Birmingham, Alabama, myself. So maybe I have to go check out that that uh, statue and give it a good old selfie. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even know that though. I, I'm not quite sure. I'm, I'm the the go to person for Birmingham, Alabama trivia. <laughs> yeah. Um. Also, Max, I'm sorry. I didn't realize you were joking. I wasn't watching the chat. Um. Anyway, Coco Goff. Um. <laughs> convincing win over um Schmeidlever. Schmeidlever. Um. In the end, like she came back a little bit, um, but uh, I don't think there was much doubt about Goff winning it. That was a that was. I mean, I didn't see. This is the match I know probably the least about of the women's. So I did. I I would imagine being a Goff fan, you probably caught it. Um, I, I, on paper, from what I heard about it, it looked like a good win, really good win for Goff. Um, I was worried at the matchup to a certain degree because I've seen uh, Schmiedleva take out Venus on clay, but I don't think Venus, the Venus she took out on clay would necessarily compare to the 19-year-old Coco Golf, who's into her third consecutive Roland Garros quarterfinal. So I, I, like you said, I think it was, I think it was a comfortable victory. I think that is the exact kind of opponent or mold of an opponent that she should be able to handle on clay and has been handling. So I, I feel that the draw at Roland Garros has kind of cut her some slack. She hasn't really um, had to play anybody ranked, ranked anywhere around her. Now that I look at her at her section, uh, she's she's faced Masarova, who she's beat in a final before, Grabert, Andreva, which was a little testy teenage feisty moment, and then obviously Schmidleva today. Testy teenage moment. Not to, I have to coin that. Um, but yeah. A workmanlike performance for Coco. I'm glad that she was able to see it through and kind of get better as the match progressed. Because Schmidlova can be tricky on clay. She has really looping, heavy ground strokes, um, a, a, a big, strong toss on her serve. All of those things can be tricky, especially in windy conditions, which is what Coco mentioned after the match, that um, it was windy out there on Philippe Chatrier. And it's just something that you have to deal with, especially the top dressing of the clay that can kind of fly up that would be like numero uno of things that would annoy me about playing on philippe chatrier like i'm playing on clay and i have to monitor my slides and all of that stuff and then in between serves there's like clay in my eyes so yeah she managed all of that well yeah that's that's pretty good have you ever actually played on a clay court miles not red clay not european red clay oh you played on american green clay yeah, the American green hard true clay, which is softer, um, does give you ability to slide, but it doesn't allow you to, to like dig in the same way. So I've been told it's not as soft. So, I mean, look, you've got more experience playing clay than I have, which is absolutely zero. Um, my only experience is cement. Anyway, um... <laughs> <laughs> I'm playing on cement tomorrow, and it actually kind of reminds. I was talking to my hitting partner last week when we played on cement about how it kind of reminds us reminds us of grass only because the cement has definite cracks in it and you know at Wimbledon the grass courts in general the the ball can kind of check so yeah we kind of like mold those be, two things together it wouldn't be cement it'd be more it's more similar to tarmac I would hmm. say but I don't know what what you would call it um but anyway um can Goff make can Coco make Iga sweat 
if you're asking me, I, I'm not gonna say a hard no, but I have to I have to look at the head to head. I have to look at the form coming in, and I would be thrilled yet shocked if Coco was able to grab a set. Rooting for her, but also being realistic and kind of meeting in the middle of those two things. Okay. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, because I'm trying to work this out, because surely in the balance of probability, given they've played six times, surely Goff's going to get a set at some point. Um, I was talking to Jack on, I think it was Sunday night. Um, yeah, it was last night or it was over the weekend um, on the show. Um, and uh, he was very much in the no, this is not happening category. Um, he's not confident that, um, like, he, he thinks Goff needs to be returning like a maniac. Um, and probably, and even then, the forehand's going to be a problem. All things that we know about that matchup so far, for Coco to get a set and even bigger to win she's gonna need uh Suyatek having an off day and she's gonna be she's gonna need to be able to use what her what her strengths are which is her backhand and her movement on on the surface and also have a good day on the forehand and all of those things happening at the same time is is a, a low probability i think maybe mm -hmm. she gets a set maybe um maybe maybe Suyatek has one of the early two round dips she has in the first round, or it just allows herself to be more competitive and Coco can sneak in a set. But I do, I, I don't want to feel like we're getting quickly into the, like the Sharapova versus Serena territory, territory with both of those two in that matchup, just because I feel like it is possible that things could change in a year or two. Like um, I might be eating my words in a year or two as well. Who knows? But I, I don't believe Coco is going to continue to take um, losses from Swiatek, especially considering their age, considering yeah. all likely that they're going to play again in very similar rounds. I hope that Coco and her team, specifically the people around her, that can help help her with some of the technical flaws that we see, use that matchup as the as what propels her to do changes and make changes in her game. I hope I, that's what I would like to see because sometimes it really does take a specific matchup for you to switch things in your game whether they're small or large yeah i and, and what you're saying about the age thing i think yeah that the, given their ages that shiontek just turned 22 goff is still 19 mm -hmm. um they're gonna be playing each other for years at some point goff's got to get a win in there somewhere i mean the famous quote nobody beats vitas Girolatis 18 times in a row was it 17 or 18 times um, I think it was 17, I think. Nobody Ghost, beats Ghost, Ghost 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 Ghost. Yeah, Ghosty will probably be able to tell us because he's the one who said it. Um, but uh, <laughs> I, yeah, and I, I, I know there are famous matchups on the ATP side. Um, it's 17, I remembered it right the first time. Mm -hmm. um, uh, on the ATP side where they did get a little bit one-sided with the big three. Um, Debbie I don't Ferrer, like... Roger, Gael, Novak. Yeah. I'm trying to think of an option for Rafa. Who did Gasquet? Rafa just? Yeah, great one, great one. Yeah, yeah. Um, with those, I I wouldn't put Goff in the same category as those players who've been on the receiving end. She's too good for that. Um, and uh, so yeah, I expect whether she's going to get it. So basically, I think what we're saying is she can. Whether she's going to get it this tournament is unlikely, but she will eventually catch Fiontech at some point. 
and yeah, I agree. And, yeah, one day. Maybe um, they play on grass, and I feel like there's an opportunity for Coco. Yeah, on grass, and Goff beats Shviontek 100%. Like, look, Shviontek needs to beat a top 60 player on grass. She hasn't done that yet in her career, um, which is mad given she's got to the fourth round of Wimbledon. Yeah, and I think she lost to Andre Jabour at in, that fourth round. From a yeah. set up. Yeah. Yeah, that, I remember that match. And like that was around about the time I was becoming a fan of Shviontek. And I was like, okay, she really got really hard fought first set. And then, oh my gosh, this match is getting away from her. <laughs> how do you as a as a fan of Sviatek, I'm interested. And then we can we can we can move on. How how do you how do you deal with some of the in a it's it's I guess in a in a large in a large perspective, it's kind of easy to deal with online stuff because you can just ignore it or just mute it. But a lot of people have conversations around Iga Sviatek being too dominant, which is so interesting in the grand scheme of where the WTA is to me, because a lot of those same people were asking for some of that domination or at least some allegiance of structure at the very top and now we have it and i and i see very often on my twitter timeline people are like can no one pinch sweatek can no one this is so boring like we know what's going to happen and i'm i'm it's it, it how do you deal with that as a fan because i would imagine if you're a fan of somebody like them beating whoever their opponent is on the day six one six two six love six love is what you would wake up and want to ideally see you know but i don't know how that affects the broader mm -hmm term of the tour and the attractiveness of matches okay i'm a tennis fan first mm -hmm. um regardless of who my favorite players are as a tennis fan i would like to see things competitive um i um i think the question this question would have a different answer last year compared to this year because i you cannot say fiontech is too dominant uh, based on 2023 because she hasn't won a big tournament yet. She's won two 500s. Um, she's been in the mix for big titles. She's been, unfortunately, the door, yeah. big titles. Yeah. yeah. Um, she's got one. She's she's due one this year, for sure. But um, Sabalenka, for me, has been very much the player of 2023 so far. Um, the, the kind of the, the one who's got all the headlines. Uh, and... Even if Sviontek wins Roland Garros, I don't think it's going to change that much because we're kind of expecting it to. Um, on clay, different story. Sviontek on clay is very... It, it's kind of her own niche area that she has control over, like Rafa has in recent years in the past in the women's game, like Enan or Graf or Evert in particular. Um, so, so for me, yeah, based on the evidence, fan or not, you cannot say Sviontek is too dominant in 2023. 2022, um, I kind of would have said she's setting the barrier the bar for people to catch because no dominance lasts forever. Eventually, you're going to fall or someone's going to catch you. And that's mm -hmm. the nature of the sport. That's how it goes. Um, so I think that's what I would say is Shviontek being too dominant um, isn't a thing and was never going to be a thing. Um, even Federer. Like we could have had this conversation about Federer in 2004. Yep. Yeah. It's this boring that Federer is winning everything. Rafa showed up the following year. Um, I think it's, I think it's based off perspective because I'm glad you brought up Federer because if you asked me that question in 2007, after years of winning, of watching Federer win everything, but Roland Garros year after year after year, by 2007, I was, I was bored with it and was actively trying to find other names to root for. And that's kind of how, 
I landed on finding Novak Djokovic interesting at the time. At the time, things have yeah. changed. Um, but I, I completely get that. I, I think it just depends on your perspective on if you're a fan of that player or not. Because if you already were not a fan of that player and they suddenly find mega form that brings them to multiple titles and is routining the opponents, you're you're not going to be satisfied with that. But if you are then yeah, you're having the time of your life, especially when somebody shows that they're super comfortable at one tournament or on one surface, like Sviatek has shown. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think so too. I mean, like it's, um, yeah, obviously see how it goes, but the Federer, I think, I don't think, look, I'm a Federer fan as well. Although I became a Federer fan in 2007, mm. I would say. So it was kind of when Rafa started to, really show up and i if i'd been a federal fan before i would have said wait for nadal to develop on hard because he was kind of underperforming at the hard court majors um a little bit and that was one of the reasons why federer was winning as much as he was um there was a really good question from sean earlier about eager's game on grass and um, i think the big thing about eager's game on grass that's holding her back is the movement she's not fully comfortable moving on it i don't see anything about her game in theory that shouldn't work on grass i mean um, there's that heavy topspin forehand that Rafa made work for a couple of years. Um, she can hit things pretty flat if she wants to on both sides, though. Um, it's probably the lack of the slight, like the, the less potent serve compared to others and the movement she's still not fully comfortable with. That would be my answer to that question. If Iga developed a better, does she have a slice serve? Not that I, I if she has, she doesn't use it. If she developed if she developed one, I feel like that would yield some good dividends for her on on grass. Just like Coco's slice serve it helps her kind of navigate the tricky uh, grass conditions. So if she had one of those, that'd be great. But I guess you know I can also see the argument for why fix anything. But I but I can also see why you want to fix things, particularly on that surface, or improve things. I shouldn't say fix anything because not too much is wrong with her game. No. Um, I'm loving the Birmingham UK chat, and I just want to like throw some. Uh, that's going on right now. And I, I do want to throw something out there because I was a little bit disparaging about Birmingham in my initial description of it. Um, especially since I've got some really good friends. Sorry, something's just, there's a, a moth just flew in my eye. Um, I uh, I really like, um, I think Birmingham's got a lot um, going for it in other ways. Like if you, um, uh, there's, there's a great culture there. Um, really. And uh, I think obviously, I think the main attraction of it is it is the location of um cadbury world which if you are british um it's a british chocolate maker and um, we're basically it's like it's basically like willy wonka's chocolate factory without the umpa lumpers how is the food oh <laughs> how was how was the food in, in in birmingham i asked because a lot of my friends went to the beyonce concert in london Okay. And I've heard some not great reviews about. And I don't even know if it was their first time or not, but I just. I'm gonna it. say this now: the food in the UK is not radically different wherever you go. Mm. Um, it's pretty much the same. Um, the the UK doesn't really. the The UK is very much does what it says on the tin type food. Um, sometimes mm. literally. Um, and uh, uh, I think the, the the ultimate British cuisine, to me anyway, as someone who grew up in the south and originally moved and, and has moved gradually more and more northward up the uk is um probably the staple british thing would be um pie and chips um which probably sounds very different to an american <laughs> 
like because it is I, I would imagine the uk version of pie and chips isn't what i have in my head as no a no it's, okay no no because like what you have in your head i realized this when i said out loud i'm like no that's gonna be a very different combination of things to you um pie pie and chips is like savory pie lots of meat lots of gravy mm -hmm. thick pastry mm -hmm. chips being fries but like very thick like this that is i would i would try that i would try yeah. that yeah i would try it that's it might, i would the the southern louisiana person me would probably carry some hot sauce with me i know that sounds so cliche but i would try it i definitely would try it you want to add some yeah add something into the mix there i can i can see why um michael's recommending indian and jamaican food yes um i've heard good things about um those in birmingham the uk um <laughs> carry hot sauce in your blazer um <laughs> Yeah, I I can't guarantee um uh I can't guarantee how spicy you like your food in the UK like whether it's going to quite meet that standard. Um I have a story related to that which I probably tell you off air. Um but anyway, uh all right, so that's the UK Birmingham tourist section of the show. Please send us a sponsorship if you are watching Birmingham City Council. <laughs> anyway, uh <laughs> I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. So we've we've covered the um yeah pie chat yeah um I think one day I'll try american pie maybe um but uh oh can I just say one thing before yeah. we uh, go back to or go forward in the show go to the men yeah I, I do see the conversation happening in the comments about Iga's personality or persona on the tour and personally I guess I have to say that her personality doesn't bother me nor am I um not intrigued by it like i feel like she's a happy medium just speaking personally i don't i don't necessarily think or envision or maybe because i'm past those years of my life having a poster of her in my bedroom but i can see i can see why a um child or a younger person would do that and i can also see why somebody would be like oh she's not my cup of tea because she doesn't really do anything super broad um in her in her persona i look at her as somebody um, I, I went to college, you guys, in, in, in the UK, you say university, I think. Yes, um, we did. We did. <laughs> she seems like somebody I'd have a really great conversation with in the library. Not be Well, probably because she mentions books a, a lot. And she just seems like that would kind of be her domain as Clay is her domain on tennis court. She just seems like somebody I would have had a great conversation with at university about a book in the library or about a course that we're, we're, both, we're both in. And she would just be a lot of kind of fun to talk about it with. Yeah, I, very much the same for me. Actually, for me, uh, her much more kind of thoughtful personality um, is it basically fits in the kind of people I'm friends with in real life. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, uh, you know, definitely would talk about books. I do not read as much as I would like. Um, Eager, I'm jealous of how much time Eager has for it. Where does um, she find it? Well, maybe she does audiobooks or does she like the physical? No, no, she, she physical books. Yeah, but... Oh. I think she probably has time between training sessions. I mean, she's clearly an introvert. And um, when you're winning matches in 47 minutes, yeah, that does free up your schedule. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. Um, so yeah, she puts a lot of thought into her answers and um, I, yeah, I would definitely enjoy having a conversation with her. I could definitely see a scenario where she and my group of friends would probably hang out a lot. We'd probably either talk about really deep topics or do something goofy or probably sit very comfortably in silence <laughs> for a cup two hours. <laughs> she's cool. She's cool in my book. I don't necessarily think that she's going to go down as like a, a, a game shaper of the sport, but definitely in this, in this decade of very, very special talent for sure. Would, would you not have said the same about Steffi Graf back in the day? Steffi Graf was also very. Yeah. Yeah. Worthy. Similar, similar, like just, it's one of those, she's one of those talents that like her achievements speak louder than almost anything she's ever said or done. Um, and some people are just like that. Like some people find the balance of achievement and persona and are able to excel in both lanes. Some people are more persona over achievements, a la Nick Kyrgios or some other uh, <laughs> players that that we can think of. Yeah. Um, and some others, are like like we're saying, Steffi Graf and Iga, like they're, they're, what they do on the court in their job that they've chosen speaks more for them than what they actually say when they're not performing their job, which is... Yeah. It, yeah it, it, it's just part of the it, course of human nature. Like there's a whole wide ranging personalities, you know? It does not surprise me um, that um, Steffi Graf ended up marrying Andre Agassi because he did enough, probably had enough charisma yes. for both of them combined. Yes. <laughs> uh, what is what is that saying? Opposites attract? That makes total yes. sense. So Iga, Iga might be attracted to somebody. Isn't she, is she a Harry Styles fan? Is she? Uh, no idea, actually. Hmm. I'm sure she knows who's who I'm sure she knows who he is. So maybe she likes like a like a more bandy artistic person, maybe. Yeah. I don't I, I think she I've seen some recent references to Taylor Swift, but that's not really yeah. on the 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 radar here. Um <laughs> so right, the men's event. Um so we obviously had a few, I would say, um Interesting results for different reasons. Let's address the elephant in the room of the um, men's match, which is the other almost four-hour epic that happened, and it was one minute short of four hours. Holger Rune against Francisco Sarundolo. Uh, and uh, it ends up being decided by a 10-point tiebreak. Sarundolo was ahead in the tiebreak. Um, Holger got back. That 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 there was a lot of momentum swings in this match, mm -hmm. and it kind of really kicked into gear towards the end when they were both just literally playing through tiredness, maybe even a bit of cramp. Um, kind of like the end of the 2020 US Open final, but maybe slightly less awkward. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was a definitely dramatic. Um, and I think Sarundalo's probably frustrated he didn't win it because he was really close i actually have pegged sarundalo that didn't sound right um i've noticed sarundalo this whole clay season and this just in general as how fluid his game is and i thought that would really take him far especially on clay i think he's had a i think his only atp title has been on clay in the post wimbledon mm -hmm. clay court swing and then he's had some good results in miami which is a little bit of outlier but maybe because those maybe maybe the support he receives there is being a South American and something about the, the conditions there allow him to play his best. But mm -hmm. 
I didn't expect him to win the match, but I expect him to do exactly what he did in the match, which is extend it, make it make it really awkward for Rude, push him physically, and ask the question, excuse me, of Rune, Runa, and ask the question of Runa if you can hold this out physically because I'm going to be here all day. He doesn't, Sorrento doesn't, doesn't seem like when he's fully held in some when he's fully healthy and sometimes when he's actually carrying something onto the court, he can still push past it and ask those questions of his opponent. And Runa at this moment, in his career is the perfect person to ask those questions too, because we've seen him struggle in five setters, even in three setters. And yeah, he got through it today, but it was very close that he wouldn't have. So that was yeah. a very, very good match, possibly outside of, maybe Taylor Fritz and Renda Kranesh for maybe more than the tennis, probably the match of the men's side so far of the, of the tournament. Oh, interesting choice. Okay. Cause I think a lot of people would be going for Monfils, uh, Monfils Byers or fair, fair. Altmaier. Fair. Um, yeah, I actually think I would still pick Fritz and Renda Kranesh actually over all of all those other three. I, I would actually do Fritz, Renda Kranesh, center Altmaier, um, then, uh, Monfils and Baez, personally. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, the Monfils Baez thing was down more to the crowd getting involved in the atmosphere. Yeah. Um, Sinner and Altmaier was just fabulous tennis. I didn't watch Fritz Rinderknecht. It obviously it didn't go five. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's only memorable for Maybe I'm putting too much weight in that, and I feel like I'm I am because Fritz allowed that to happen. Like he gave me something sometimes in tennis. When somebody does something completely out of their character, it just sticks with you because you're like, I've watched you 17 times in 17 weeks and this hasn't happened. So maybe that's maybe that's why I think that match was more interesting. But the tennis is actually was really good, too, because Render, Render Kinesh was asking him questions at the net and just bringing out some good things in Taylor Fritz game. But this this match, Runa versus uh, Sarundalo, I can see why somebody would put it above all of the matches we've just mentioned. Yeah, I, I would need to have a look. I, um, I think... The fuss around this match is obviously, yeah, it, it was another dramatic finish. And we've had five setters almost every day bar one, this Roland Garros. It's been a very, very exciting men's tournament. Is that why it feels like it's been on forever? <laughs> <laughs> so many sets. Yeah. Um, to be honest, though, what seems to be dominating the conversation is double bounce gate, mm. which happened early in the third set, I believe. Um, I could this i couldn't see it like i only caught the end of it so i only found out about this on twitter um i had to be in meetings for work um and uh so i only found out about this afterwards but yeah there was a clear double bounce that the umpire somehow missed um and somehow um, isn't that interesting how like they have some of the best seats in the entire stadium <laughs> and somehow things just go above them like they just don't they don't see things they don't remember things it's just very interesting how that happens and keeps coming up yeah because they're human and yeah they are but they have a humans sometimes have responsibilities that supersede just being normal humans sometimes. And sometimes we kind of think about our favorite athletes as more than human. So I feel like because the umpires are officiating to very, like sometimes bigger than human um, celebrities playing on a court, we expect them to not have those moments, but it is sports. I just feel like it's a miss in tennis that there isn't something in, there isn't something built into the, the occasion and the event 
to help with this, you know? Oh, there goes my tweet. That that double bounce happening on the the far, not the far side, the side closest to where the chair empire is, is reason number 568 that professional tennis needs video review technology implemented into the sport, like expeditiously. Yeah. <laughs> so here's the thing. I'm not saying you're wrong. Like I could see a scenario where video review could be useful. However, I'm currently in the UK and video review is a weekly discussion point in the case of the Premier League um, and the way it's been implemented there that just causes it causes an argument every week mm. because the way I, I don't know if you're familiar with Premier League football. Um, but I'm trying to. <laughs> you know, it, there's too much sport to keep up with. Um, but usually when there's a what's called a video assistant referee decision, VAR, um it causes an argument because it very much depends on the angle of the camera they're using sometimes um or there's a guy in the studio who tells the referee what he needs to do um and there's clearly um some issues with the technology involved because so there've been some questionable decisions despite the fact the purpose is a video review system and they still somehow made the wrong decision <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the other sports I do follow in American football um, and basketball, there's been video review of tight moments and then also moments that just generally need a second look for as long as I've been a fan. And I don't often, maybe because it's so baked into how I think about those sports, I don't come away having this conversation here thinking that there's too many arguments about them getting the wrong call as opposed to like a specific example in football if the if the football and the player carrying it got across the line of scrimmage or the line in the end zone appropriately or not like was it actually there because sometimes they zoom in yeah. and it's to the centimeter or millimeter or however and then in basketball if the shot was released out of the player's hand right before the um the alarm or buzzer went off to see if it was if it was fair i think those moments where like it's just about fairness of the Fairness in the core of what makes the sport. The core of what makes tennis run is the fact that you only get one bounce to hit the ball over the net. Any, mm -hmm. Anything anything more than that, it, the point goes to the other opponent, right? If we're not getting that right, I feel like that's we're missing the core of what's of what our sport is, or one of the cores. I shouldn't say that's the, the ultimate core of the sport. We should at least be able to get that correct. And I remember, I think it was the October Roland Garros, something very similar happening where we at home get the benefit of constant replays, like not even in the middle of the match, after the match, seeing a ball bounce twice. And that was between Laura Sigamund and Chris, Christina Mladenovic. Mm -hmm. It's I see the argument that some people make that you should always be able to call it on yourself and that everybody knows where it's a double bounce, double bounce. But there's officiating in a lot of people that make this whole sport move. And if none of them can can come together and use technology that we're having access to in 2023 to make efficient and correct decisions about whether a ball has bounced twice or not. I don't understand what we're doing. It just seems like we're all just like circling the drain. If we're having these kind of conversations every year, maybe at the same tournament, who knows if it's a tournament issue or a surface issue. I'm not, not saying that it is because we've seen some, we've seen things happen on hard and grass, but I'm thinking about moments at Roland Garros where a video review system could have nipped this in the bud for everybody because we at home that have no stock in it 
are being able to judge very easily whether a ball bounced twice or not, and the people that it matters for cannot. And I feel like that's the problem. Well, Sarindolo was very much saying, he he was protesting the balls bounce twice. He stopped the point, or tried to stop the point, and then ended up losing the point because the umpire called him for hindrance. <laughs> which is silly. Which is, I mean, and I guess... If you're an umpire, right, and you're trying to be impartial, and obviously Sarundalo was in an advantageous uh, section of the court and just in general in that point, I can see if you're trying to be neutral as an umpire and be like, well, of course he's going to argue that it double bounced, right? So I can't take his argument as the full weight because he wants to win that point. And he was in the, he was in the aggressive part of that point. But realistically, it needs to be seen it, especially mm. especially in a moment like that where it wasn't like he was running for a drop shot it was just a really short ball in the court i just i can't understand why there's a little small device called a tablet in every umpire's chair and it's not being utilized to review moments like that especially moments that make or break somebody going from the fourth round to the quarterfinals and getting a what $200,000 as a pair to $300,000. It's just those small moments in tennis, which is a game with small margins anyway, they matter. And something like reviewing a ball bouncing once or twice shouldn't be that hard. And I don't I don't see why. It, we only have these conversations when people are like irate and furious. And it feels like no one's even bringing them up when we're more balanced, which is where they should which is where we should be bringing them up to get to a conclusion so things don't happen like this where we're all up in arms again. Does that make sense, you know? Yeah, it, it does make sense. I feel like tennis kind of runs off, as, as a lot of sports do, the idea that the official's word is final. <laughs> um, and if the official gets it wrong, tough luck. Um, I hate that tough look. I, I I mean, I get it. Sometimes you really just have to take things in sport and in life on the chin. But... It could really be, a, it could be neutralized, basically what I'm saying. Like if that was the, the same way we get challenge systems that are broadcasted on the biggest sports and the biggest arenas in the world to see if that ball was a millimeter in or a millimeter out, the same thing could apply for if that ball bounced twice or not. You know, it would just put everybody at ease, except Ostapenko. She wouldn't believe it, but everybody else would be at ease. <laughs> Ostapenko wouldn't believe any point that was called against her. <laughs> <laughs> she, doesn't, she doesn't think she does much wrong in tennis and or life, I don't think. She, so. she, she, she kind of hits the ball out and then goes, what did I do? Yeah, that's what she does. <laughs> Uh, she's she's like the she's like the the meme with the um the, the guy with the gun at that Saturday SNL sketch. <laughs> I don't think she has. I don't, I don't think she's a very um self aware person. I think she just you know drives along the highway listening to her own music, doesn't stop for anybody, and just does her own thing. And that's kind of the tennis she plays. And if it's working, it's working. And if it if it isn't, she's going to try to convince everybody else that it's working, and everybody else should agree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that sounds fair. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So I do. I'm, I'm happy for uh, Sarundalo, 
and in general, South American tennis is having a moment in this in this tournament. I'm happy for for Serundolo and uh, Echeverry, who also won shortly after. No, was it shortly after? Uh, he was after the Shviontek match. So there yes. was. A, like, I think one of the upsides of the Shviontek match only lasting about half an hour was the crowd on Suzanne Longline had had eight hours for just two matches, and the organizers probably breathed a sigh of relief, going, "We can get four matches done today." Mm-hmm. Um, so Echeverry came. After that, and and actually very beat um, Yoshihito Nishioka um, seven six six one six no seven six six love six one um, in what was um, and in like I didn't see any of this. Um, this is the match I know the least about because um, I was kind of looking at other stuff, um, but Echeverry. Um, won a tie break that I saw quite a lot of fuss being made about on Twitter um, of being really, really good. And mm. then just drove away with the match, which doesn't surprise me because I think Nishioka was probably out of steam having won a really brutal match against Shape of Field two days ago. Yeah. And he played, um, uh, I think he had played three straight five setters. Uh, two, no. two, two five setters, one against JJ Wolf and the other one in the third round against. Uh, Oh, bear with me. Zybold Veach. That's why I'm trying to pronounce it how he how he would pronounce it in his in his in his uh, native tongue. I, yes. I, that's that's how I've heard Damien pronounce it. I'm going to go with Damien. He what, how did he pronounce it? Shabothfield. Shabothfield. Okay. I, I was going to say hopefully we don't have to hear about it too often, but he's a good player just with some spotted a spotted uh, past and yeah. <laughs> A spotted, spotted pass and present. How about that? But yes, back to back to Echeverry. Great match for him. Um, getting to the quarterfinal of, of a Grand Slam for the first time in his career. I've had my eye on him. I don't remember if I first watched him play at the Houston ATP 250 clay final in Houston. Yeah, I don't remember if that was the very first time. Yeah, he did. I don't know if that was the very first time I had seen him, but I know I was left very impressed because any any moment that Tiafo had like a very ebb and flow, not being so focused as he should have been, Etcheverry was right there to take advantage of it. And I like those kind of players. And he also has very um, good weapons to dictate in his own right. He has a good serve, good forehand, a lot of good spin on it. And he's tall. He's 6'5". So his, a lot of his ball just jumps up, and a ball that gets high up on him doesn't really bother him as much. And speaking of the first set tiebreak he won against Nishioka, he had a set point against Djokovic in the opening round of Rome. He did. He really, he really should have won that that set because Novak was not playing well at the time, and Novak kind of squeaked that out a little bit, probably more off of his um, aura and presence and the ability to just not miss in tiebreakers, which is something that he's really good at. But I'm glad that Echeverria has kind of kept the momentum going uh, well into the second week of Roland Garros, because I think I think he's a good story. Yeah, I, I agree. I think Echeverria's a great story. And I remember, like, I think we really made a fuss of him in Rome because obviously Djokovic is his hero growing up. So the fact he got to play him was a... Oh, that was Thomas that had the sign that said... Yes. I'm a, like, I think he said so many... How many so points many... behind Novak, yeah. Yes, how many points behind Novak. Yeah, that's that's cool. That's cool. Does, he, wish, does that make him go down in your estimation? I was just about to say, I wish it wasn't Novak, but I mean, the the idea that he was really reaching for the best at a at a very like uh, small point or way behind lets me know a little bit makes makes me know a little bit about his character. Like he's willing to do the one foot in front of the other and do the things that have to be done that maybe aren't so pretty and glamorous to get to where he ultimately wants to get in his goal, which is I'm assuming after after this 
tournament, I'm assuming he's going to be top 30. I haven't looked at the uh, rankings. Let's have a look at the or, live ranking. Or, there, or thereabouts, I would imagine. Because he was... Ish, yeah. He's going to yeah. be... He's on his way there. Let me get the live ranking up and have a look. Um, live ATP singles. Let's look at it. Yeah, yeah. I've got it saved on my handy device. Um, ready to go as and when needed. Uh, <laughs> I have to refresh it, though. But uh, Oh, I was... Oh, my gosh. I was so close. His... According to the live rankings, he's 31. 31. Right so, yeah, so he's he's on track, depending on how the next couple of weeks go, for a Wimbledon seeding. Yes, 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 yes. Um, And obviously, well, let's see, because, like, obviously the seedings at Roland Garros were very heavily affected by about five withdrawals. So, <laughs> um, depending on who dis- who ends up playing Wimbledon, whether we're going to have Berrettini and Chilich and Karenia Busta there. Oh, man. I'm one of the few people that misses miss Berrettini. Well, I miss Berrettini. Oh, really? I feel like people people have moved on for the most part. They kind of just think of him as uh, Netflix famous and uh, famous for wearing Hugo Boss. <laughs> like, his tennis isn't usually part of the elite part of the conversation, but I like his tennis. I'm, I, I can see how it's a little one-dimensional in some in some ways, but I miss his aura on the court. I feel like he, he gives, he gives a, a good watch. I think he would be... I think you, know, you need to have him in the mix for... Um... Uh, for Wimbledon because obviously he's one of the best grass court players out there and without him the draw is going to descend into chaos although having said that I have high hopes that Sinner Alcaraz will provide some stability um, at the event Um, but we're not talking about Wimbledon yet (laughs) Um, someone who um, let's see what other match we've got well while we're on the um, the Echeverry match let's circle round because his next match um, is going to be against um, Zverev, who um, won the match that um, who who played the final ball of the day uh, to beat Grigor Dimitrov um, in straight sets. It was not that like Grigor Dimitrov He's could have made him. that match competitive. <laughs> he could have made that match competitive and flunked every opportunity to do so. That is probably my ultra harsh assessment of what happened there. Zverev is playing well at the minute. He seems to be, um, you know, he's built, he's saving the points that um, he's lost from the, from he's losing from Roland Garros. Um, and he's, he's up to 34 in the live rankings now. He's going to be, um, or down to 34, I should say. I was going to say Zverev was down that low. I mean, I guess that would track. He's done, he wasn't playing for the last six months of the season and his first six yeah. months of this year hasn't really been spectacular. So I guess that makes sense. Yeah. So he's, he just, just about be seated for Wimbledon probably, but he's, he's getting a season back on track with this run in, in Roland Garros. Um, yeah. I know he's not going to be a popular um, uh, person to have in the last eight, but uh, yeah, it's like it, it was, it was, we were hoping maybe, maybe Dimitrov would um, pinch him. Pinch him, or at least inject some kind of um, chaos and um, some flair into the match. And he was up a break in the second set. He had multiple break chances to get chances to get back on serve in the third. It just wasn't happening. Um, It just wasn't his day, really. I don't think um, maybe this would have not been something I said maybe 
eight or so years ago about Dimitrov. I don't feel like Dimitrov has enough weight behind his shots, especially against somebody like, not that I think of Zverev of having the super weighty shot. I just think Zverev can put a, just that extra bit of oomph behind his ball, especially on his backhand and his serve and kind of start the points out in his favor. And Dimitrov just was kind of behind the eight ball every time a point really got started. Like he brings variety and flair and like flash and, sophistication mm. if you will into a point but like actual effectiveness of pushing his, his opponent back or doing anything that makes his opponent uncomfortable i don't see him doing that too often like it takes a little it takes a little bit of the opponent just having a bad day which zverev isn't hasn't had too many at this tournament so it's it's a bad matchup and i think zverev has the head-to-head over dimitrov like seven one or something like that yeah unfortunate but i i, I it's kind of crazy how we've gotten here in Dimitrov's career that getting to the fourth round of a Grand Slam is something that should be applauded, but it should. It it really it really yeah. should. Like I, he got, to the, he got to the final in Geneva. Yeah, it, Roland Garros, which is his weakest major, and clay is not his favorite surface. He prefers a much faster court. Yeah, and that makes sense because I think the faster court makes up for the fact that he doesn't have a super weighty ball that bounces high or or pushes you back the way Zverev does more so in his in his game. He remains baby-fed, the inferior version <laughs> of uh, the Great Swiss. Um, and then our, the, the final match of the day, which wasn't the final match of the day. It was actually technically, I think... The first? The first, the first the, men's the match? match of the day. <laughs> it, well, yeah, the first men's match, because the Cerebus Tournament had admired match was still going when it got going, um, was Casper Ruud beat Nicholas Jarry 7-6, 7-5, 7-5, in a match that was somehow straight sets... But Jarry was up in uh, Jarry made those sets incredibly competitive, and it felt more like a four or a five setter, just because I think Jarry was up in at least one of those sets. Um, he was like there were a lot of breaks. Rude was pushed during this match, um, and yet found a way to win in straights. And he's someone else who seems to have woken up at Roland Garros. Yeah, he needed to because his ranking was going to take somewhat of a hit if he didn't get closer to that final like he did or into the final like he did last year. I actually had Rude on upset alert. Up, upset alert and actually picking the upset of Jari versus Rude because they so had did, just played so in Geneva. Jack yesterday. Yeah. I feel like it was a smart pick. I feel like Nicholas Jari does some of the things that would make Casper Rude uncomfortable. And if we're just basing off of form in the tournament and coming into the tournament, Nicholas Jari had all of that well and above what Casper Ruud has. And it's also somebody from South America that I, for some reason I don't, I don't click it. I, when I think of South America, I look at like the Argentine or the Brazilian flags, but I have to start giving some respect to the Chilean flags. So yeah, I, that's a good win for Casper Ruud to get back to the quarters of a tournament he probably loves and considers his favorite. I think, I think he considers Roland Garros his favorite tournament. Yep. That isn't like a clay 250 in the middle of Europe somewhere. <laughs> With high altitude. Yeah. I, yeah. I, 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 I never, yeah. I'm not quite sure how to base my opinions and conversations around Casper Ruud these days. I'm really not because the 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 few times I've thought he was going to, even with his season not being great, the few times I thought he had matchups that were going to allow him to start getting things right, he hasn't. And the matchups that I thought were going to like really derail him have propelled him forward. So he's just been in kind of an enigma this season. He he really has, and I, I'm I'm not sure how. I'm not sure. If things, I guess this match is an example, but it was only, it, I say only, because those were all three tight sets. But I'm interested to see what's going to happen if he gets into like a fifth setter. Because yeah. 
his match against Runa in this Runa in the semifinals of Rome made me worried about him not being able to close matches, particularly against higher or roundabout opponents of him being the top 10. Yeah, and actually that Runa match in quarterfinals has got a lot of interesting questions around it because, like you were saying, with the matchup, it should favor Runa. However, Casper Rude has pushed Runa in every match, and I think Runa only beat him for the first time in that Rome semi-final. And was down a set in 4-2, I yeah. believe, yeah. Which, if that repeats itself, I don't see Runa coming back because I he looked cooked after that match against... Uh, I love, I love that phrase, day. cooked. He, he was cooked. <laughs> like I, He was the walking embodiment of the dictionary <laughs> definition of the tennis cooked. Yeah. But he but the thing about Runa is I'm not sure if he's using that as gamesmanship or if he really is just that cooked. He he bounces back from it. Like even in the Rome final, I know it's best out of three, not best out of five. He pushed Medvedev. Like that wasn't necessarily just a walkover match for Medvedev. And he had to really extend a lot of energy to come back over Casper Rude in the semifinal. So I'm not, I, I think because he just turned 20, and I think he said he tries to get anywhere from nine to 13 hours of sleep. I think he said that in a press conference not too long ago in, in Roland Garros. If he gets an adequate amount of sleep and is just up for that matchup against Casper Rude, he has a full 24 hours, I believe, to, to turn around to play that match mm -hmm. i give him a little bit of the edge yes i know casperud has been to the final and has been further than a quarterfinal at any grand slam and this would be a first quarterfinal win for runa i give runa a slight edge like 51 49 i do i i i have less confidence in runes's physicality at the minute um and ability to recover and over best of five i like before today would be like yeah holger runa's making the final now i'm like I think this is going to be a semi-final shootout between Rude and Zverev. I think he has the fight and the will and the, and the determination yeah. that I like that I like to see that supersedes anything else his body's telling him, especially if his body's only telling him, hey, you're winded and you're like you're fatigued. If his body was telling him, hey, there's a potential injury here, I think we'd be talking about something different. But if yeah. it's just fatigue and, and, and just lack of stamina, I feel like his determination to get a grand slam with all of the momentum he has on his side is going to potentially push him push him over the edge if that match gets tight and physical, which I would imagine is going to be physical from the out. Yeah, I mean, I would... Um, yeah, it's going to be... I I don't see it going down in straights either yeah. way. It's not going in straights. Um, and uh, I, I still think the longer the match goes on, the more it favours Rude. Um, I just I, voted I, and voted Rude, so I pushed that 20% up to 30-something. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, yeah, I'll, uh, I might have to fix that. Uh, but... <laughs> <laughs> with uh with uh with um obviously i've also kind of already put zverev into my semi-finals um do we see Echeverry threatening him much i'd love to see it yeah like i can i would i'm envisioning that right now actually i'm i'm moving okay. i'm moving that muscle in my mind to see it because i would love it i think it would keep i'm not sure the last time we've had a unseated man in the semis of roland garros actually 2022 okay. it didn't it didn't happen in 2022 2021 it didn't happen yeah it would it would be nice i think it would be think a while would, yeah it'd be a while as opposed to the women Checking out to in 2018 yeah maybe maybe, maybe even Chekanato was like a low seed maybe i think that mm. that sounds familiar that he was a low seed as opposed to the women's side there's been an unseated player in the semifinals every year since 2018 so i kind of yeah. want i kind of want the chaos to happen on the men's side a little bit 
which is and it's guaranteed to happen again this year yeah, with yeah. um Pavlyuchenkova versus Mukova happening tomorrow. Um actually should we talk about tomorrow and see what what we think is going to happen? Um gives me great vibes. I don't know why. Well, actually, I do know why. We have history, not like personal. <laughs> and well, you know, I, we have history way back in the day and currently because I really enjoyed John talking to her, I believe, at Madrid on the Talking Tennis channel. If you guys haven't watched the interview between John and Pavlo Chinkova, I definitely uh, suggest you go back into the archives and give it a watch because it's good. Pavlo Chinkova gives good conversation. And I remember back in 2009 when I was, I tweeted about this uh, earlier last week, I believe that I remember doing tennis highlights of hers way, way some years ago. And it was her first year kind of making a splash on WTA tour when she made the semis at Indian Wells in 2009. And I just remember being enamored with the way she hit the ball. It was the way her stroke production was the sound of the ball, the way she dictated, it was just very interesting to me at the time. And she's kind of kept that. It it has ebbed and flowed. She's had, she's had injuries and stuff like that. But I believe there's something about this court. There's something about the 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 stakes of a Grand Slam that really bring out the best in her. And I think she has a really good shot against Mukova in the quarterfinals to get to another Grand Slam semi. She definitely does. I, I think it's going to be a close one. I think Mukova is on a good run right now. Um, and has a lot of momentum behind her um she um and i think you know there's a lot of people who, who i think well not a lot of people vanch put her in a semi in his semi-finals way earlier uh like before the tournament even started that's that's because if she beat what when she beat sakari she became the number eight seed so yeah effectively um and you know there was a lot of questions around pagula's form which and and no one accounted for her having food poisoning um <laughs> Uh, I don't think many people do. Uh, that's going to be such an interesting matchup. Actually, most of the match, both of those women's quarterfinals are such different variations of how they play. It's like Mukova, yeah. Mukova massages the ball and redirects things re really well based off of her timing and hands. And Pavluchenkova is all about slapping the ball and putting pace on it and dictating. And kind of similar for Svitolina and Sabalenka. Svitolina... I think Svitolina's mindset is more aggressive. I just don't think her natural firepower is anything to rival uh, the players she's one once faced. And then somebody like Sabalenka, whose firepower is up there with the best in the world. So that's that both of those matches are interesting as far as just how they go about constructing their points and winning them. Yeah. And, and yeah, you're right. It, it's lovely contrast of styles. Um, I think we're in for an absolute treat in terms of quarterfinals tomorrow. By the way, Pavlyuchenkova's ranking is currently 333, um, which is like, I don't know if that would make her the, if she got to the semis, I don't know if she'd be the lowest ranked player to make the semifinals of Roland Garros, but um, someone will dig that up if it happens. Um, I, yeah, I, I can see both being super competitive Svitolina has obviously made a career out of counter-punching off pace, um, trying not to get overwhelmed. Um, so that match with Sabalenka is going to be interesting. There's obviously going to be a little bit of tension in there um, and uh, for political reasons. Um, and uh, Mukova, Pavlyuchenkova, again, that's the way they kind of counter each other is going to be absolutely fascinating. So um, those are your opening two matches um, tomorrow. Um, I think... Are we? Are you thinking then it's going to be a Pavlyuchenkova Sabalenka semi? For some of the political reasons you mentioned, that probably would be somebody's worst nightmare. But for me, I don't mind it. <laughs> yeah, I, but would, I, 
I don't think fun. about that. We're, we're tennis fans. <laughs> yeah, we're tennis fans. Tennis, tennis wise, I actually may prefer to keep some of the contrast going and see a Mukova versus Sabalenka final mm-hmm. or semifinal, just because I think, well, I know Mukova's Mukova's ranking is a bit higher than Pavlyuchenkova, and if she gets to the semi, that puts her at a better a better position to get back in the top twenty, which I feel like was where she deserves to be she and belongs, should yeah. be. Yeah, she belongs there. So maybe I'm. I'm, I'm like like I said before, fifty one forty nine pulling for Mukova, and then I'm definitely pulling for Sabalenka to get to the semis, just because she's having an incredible season, and it's some of the stuff I've been wanting to see from her for years with the consistency match with the firepower. So, and she's this is probably the most consistent season we've ever seen for Mukova. I mean, how many times she's been to the last eight of a Masters one thousand and quarterfinals? It's just ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's 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 had that. Uh, that uh, adage of being kind of made out of glass, and I hopefully, hopefully, her glass is hardened. Um, it's very what's that? What is that word? Tempered glass. Yeah, yeah. maybe her. I hopefully, her glass is tempered. <laughs> With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, I guess so. Um, by the way, I'm looking it up. It is uh, Chakinato was unseeded when he mm. reached um, the 2018 Roland Garros semifinals. On the way, he beat Novak Djokovic famously, and Djokovic is playing tomorrow um, against Karen Hachanov, a player who, although he has an 8-1 record against head-to-head, is also a player who has given him headaches in the past. Um, mm. Obviously, that one win in the Paris Masters final, pretty sure he managed to find a way of irritating him at a couple of times in a major. Um, Hachanov very comfortable on clay. Um yeah, I think I'm, that's I'm the... calling something incredible. I'm calling an okay. incredible upset. <laughs> you think Hatchinov's going to beat Djokovic? I more so want Hatchinov to beat Djokovic. Right, more than okay, I think. the anti-Djokovic propaganda <laughs> coming out. Yeah, it's more of a want than I actually firmly believe he will. But I do think he's capable of doing something insane and and, and causing havoc to the more anticipated Djokovic versus Alcaraz semifinal. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, I okay. I, I know there's some, there's some bias going on here. I personally want a Djokovic Alcaraz semi-final. I really want this to happen. Um, I think it's highly likely to happen. Um, and uh, I, I'm interested more to see sort of whether Djokovic chops the set or not tomorrow. Um, I think it's possible. Um, but I think it's going to, well, talking to Jack about it, very much depends on his forehand. Mm-hmm. Um, and how he and how that's developing. So that, I think it depends on his physicality too. Like if 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 they were playing the kind of match that Runa and Sarundulo plays, I give an X to Hatchinov. I think Hatchinov, even though Hatchinov has played a long five, well, that really wasn't a super long five setter in the first round. No. I think I think Hatchinov is the has the better stamina and, and endurance right now. I think Djokovic is depending on something very Iron Man esque to kind of help him. Well, yes, yes, (laughs) literally in yeah, literally Iron Man ish. Uh, So, I mean, Djokovic has obviously not been playing badly. I'd be remiss to say that he was. I just, I I think Karen gives himself 
probably the best shot to pull off that upset more so than he ever thought he would in his career. And he said as much because he, he, I think he said in his press conference that getting to that semifinal of the U S open last year, definitely opened up his eyes a little bit more that, Hey, like I can be more than just a getting sneak into the second week kind of player. I can be the person that's here on the final weekend. And hopefully he takes some of that, mojo into the match against Djokovic because Djokovic still is vulnerable. I know he's a number three seed. He's won two Roland Garros titles before, but he's, I still think he's vulnerable. Not even saying from an anti-Djokovic uh, perspective. I, I think he's, he's, I think he's vulnerable. He's definitely vulnerable more, more so than maybe other years. Um, yeah. Maybe not as vulnerable as he was in 2017 or 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, no, he's vulnerable. Um, I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. I still think he's going to win Roland Garros. Um, I actually think he's going to win it. Um, still, I'm sticking to my guns on that prediction. Um, which means I think he's going to be hatching off. The question is whether he's going to drop a set or not. Um, and, I and think you think he's going to beat the winner of Alcaraz and Sitsipas? Yes. Okay. Um, and judging by and like Alcaraz and Sitsipas is the night match tomorrow. Mm. Um, I think Alcaraz has very much control of the matchup with Sitsi Pass. I think that's going to be, I think it's going to be straight sets actually. Um, I think it might, one of them might go to a tie break, um, but I think Alcaraz is winning that one. Um, I, I would say the Djokovic-Hachanov match is the more interesting of the two men's matches happening tomorrow. Um, and we, we are covering it live, so keep an eye on the coverage that we're doing for Alcaraz versus Sitsi Pass just in, uh, because hey, you're going to get a great conversation out of it and you may get someone describing something super dramatic. So who knows? Um, so that will be fun, I think, regardless with um, Alcaraz Pass. I think that there'll probably be a little bit of aggro in there. Um, but yeah, I, are you... Really? You think there'll be aggro between Alcaraz and Pass? That has been in the past. I, okay, I'm thinking about that. Was it this year's Barcelona or last, last year's year. Barcelona? Last year's last Barcelona? Year. Where he and took then you like a really... year before that. 2021 what happened i know that was a dramatic match but was there aggro i don't know I, I think uh our city was a little bit irritated by how that match turned out um we lost so like 18 year olds so, during you know, it yeah. i've been irritated too <laughs> but it's, it's also city pass I, I feel like city pass um at maybe first glance is a fighter but when he actually gets into the fight things go a little high a little, a little haywire he doesn't know how to fight yeah, he he wants to. I think he wants to be a really good like Greek champion, but in the actual moment where like championship nature comes out, it doesn't come out for him. I think if he if if Alcaraz makes that match tight and it doesn't become a blowout, even if that match gets tight, I give Alcaraz the the edge just because he's 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 Alcaraz. <laughs> you you didn't catch the Medvedev reference, I don't think. But uh, what did you say? I didn't. I'm sorry. So he's just it. a small kid who doesn't know how to fight. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. yes, yes. <laughs> yep. uh, that's all we need to say. Um, all we <laughs> need to say. Or uh, a small a small cat. <laughs> I, I I think that might be something else. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> that might be something else Medvedev said uh, about some about I can't remember who it was. Um, but I think it was he was talking about the chair empire, but neither here nor there. I think he was talking about the empire. Um, but yeah, so I think Sitsi Pass is probably uh not um not winning that. Um, I think it sounds like you're in agree with it, just but that's more based on Alcaraz than Sitsi Pass, yes, yeah, fair. Um, I think actually, yeah, to be fair, that's what I think as well. I just think that Alcaraz has just got Sitsi Pass's number, 
That was his first like major win that made everybody kind of stand up and take notice was over 65 to the US Open. And since then, since that match, 65 has already taken has, has only taken one set off of him, and that was in the Barcelona quarterfinal last year. So yeah, which is the one with the infamous thwacking the ball at Alcaraz incident. Yeah. Maybe he's gonna have to keep on doing that to throw Alcaraz off. <laughs> as long as he doesn't get devote um doesn't get uh yeah, defaulted. defaulted. Oh my gosh! When was the last time? When was the last time somebody got defaulted in like a major quarterfinal in singles? Has it ever happened? I don't know. Not that women, I'm aware women's, of. Women's, men's, anything. Wow. I not that I'm aware of. I I mean I I spent I did spend about an hour tonight looking up whether anyone and had won a major benefiting from a retirement or at least how many times that happened after what happened with Fiontek Serenko. Mm. Um, oh, I'm Amelie Moresmo won the Australian Open in 2006. 2006. Think, yeah, it I think three. Twice. It benefited from two retirements in that draw. It was two retirements or three? Two, is what I saw. Well, in one in the final. I think the one in the final yeah. counted as three. I think. I'm not 100% sure. I only saw two, including the final. Gotcha. But, okay. But yeah, um, and then Novak, Novak's infamous round four is the closest we've gotten from like a quarterfinal. Yeah. yeah. A real primetime match happening. Serena was never defaulted in a U.S. Open final. She just got a point. She got a point penalty that resulted in the loss of a point on match point, which was so stupid. But. And that was a semi-final. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Serena Williams. I, I honestly believe that moment is the lowest moment of Serena Williams' career. That moment, two thousand nine. Yeah. The fact that there's so many to choose from at the U.S. Open is really <laughs> wild. Because <laughs> I was comparing 2004 to 2009, 2009 to 2011, which I think the 2011 one was probably the 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 one that she was most at fault for. Because she did yell out at that forehand, and, and Sam Storza uh, put a racket on. And in 20, I think knowing how long I've been, or knowing how long I've been seeing Serena play, I think that 2018 is the one one that sticks out in memory because there was just so much, there was so much on the line. That was, yeah. yeah, I mean, 2009 Serena was nowhere near as appreciated as an American icon, the way 2018 Serena was and would have been if she had won that match. What happened in the 2018 final was somewhat provoked a little bit. By Um, the chair empire. Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I think she and, she, and, she definitely and, yeah she definitely was on the losing end of something that didn't need to be called out I guess you know? she snapped but she but I think most people would have especially if they felt like they weren't doing anything wrong but the similar the same thing happened in two thousand nine she felt like she didn't foot fault which I guess that's totally different because that's a that's a, a argument of of where you sit and where you see the foot as opposed to like whether her coach was actually telling her what to do or not. And she mm-hmm. was communicating back with him because a coach yeah. can tell you, a coach can tell you to flow your arm up in the air all day during the match. But if you're not paying attention to it, you're not technically being coached. Whereas yeah. if you, if your foot goes over the line, no matter how, what, what style, which way, if it goes over the line, that's considered a foot fault. And I guess she was, I guess she was more mad that it happened in that moment. And then she took out her frustration, not even probably realizing that she, if she had gotten one more point penalty, it was going to be a loss of point and all of that culminated boom match over. I, for, for me, I, that could, that was kind of Serena bringing it all on herself 
mm. in that moment and it was a it wasn't a particularly pleasant side of her that we saw um in that moment and for me compared to the other moments you're talking about i mean i didn't even remember 2011 and i don't even know what you're talking about with 2004 um you don't know what i'm talking about with 2004 no, that's that's depending on what generation you're in. That's that is the most infamous one because she was absolutely done wrong in that one. Like no, was like that the Capriati US Open. Yeah, yeah, that was that one. That was that one. What it exactly was, happened? Because she I, hit a, yeah, I'm a little a, too young to remember that. Yeah, um, the you, I'll I'll send you a link to the full match on YouTube in English commentary and everything. She hit a she hit a backhand down the line that was inside the line, not not like a not like a, a paint a painter like a, a a niche of the line. It was inside the line, and the line umpire did the little you know this little thing right here that signifies it was in. But the chair umpire said the point uh, or gave the point to Capriati, and then when she called the when she called the score out, Serena was like, "What's going on?" Like that. That that was my point in the infamous. That ball was so and do I have another, do I have to speak another language? And that that's where that came from. But cap it was it was drama because one there was no um, Hawkeye at the time, and two Capriati didn't say anything at the time, even though the ball was so clearly in. It wasn't even one of Serena's like screaming winners. It was just a more or less traditional backhand on the line. Capriati did not say anything about it, and then when she was asked about it on court by the uh, press, or by the by the press, she basically essentially said that, "Well, we all have we all have tough calls," and Serena ended up winning that game anyway, and the crowd booed her. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, okay. Uh, Serena history for today. <laughs> Serena history, yeah. No, I think a lot of those are like that was a McEnroe. No, I, I, I again, I, there's plenty of players who show off that kind of side, but. Uh, I know 2009 still beats that for me. I think she even I think she even acknowledged that there was someone I forgot who she calls her alter ego when she gets a little feisty. Um, I think she you know what I think in her, in her book on the line she acknowledges it and uh, I need to go back and re reread that and see what she calls what she calls uh, that alter ego that kind of came up in that 2009 match. But yeah, it wasn't it wasn't pretty to see. I mean, was it entertaining? Very much so. But was it pretty? No. <laughs> No, okay. So we've done that. I think, yeah, we'll, we'll agree to disagree on sort of Serena's lowest moment, but uh, um, I think we've probably got different criteria for measuring it. I'm just going with how much of that was her fault. Mm. And 2009 for me was all her fault, whereas yeah. the others had mitigating circumstances. Fair enough. Um, so, okay. Well, we've, we've done Serena history after previewing um day um the tomorrow at Roland Garros. Um tomorrow at Roland Garros is also um quarterfinals day in the men's, women's and mixed doubles. Um oh, didn't even look at the mixed doubles draw. Yeah, so tomorrow, well I, I can read out. So mixed doubles tomorrow, the two quarterfinals are on uh well actually no, there's three quarterfinals happening. Um so there's Kostchuk and Aravalo against Andrescu and Venus. That'd be entertaining if Andrescu wins the mixed doubles title. Um there's also um, Sutajadi and Middlecoop against Chan and Martin. Um, so less well-known players. I think everything else beyond below that is juniors. Um, and then the women's doubles, it's everyone's favourite doubles team, Bushkova and Cerebos Tormo, taking on Melikar Martinez and Ellen Perez. Um, with the other women's doubles team being Anna Bondar and Greet Millen taking on Coco Goff and Jessica Pagula, who are currently mm. surely... The title favorites. They're the um, highest seeds remaining, number two. 
Yeah. yeah. And the men's doubles, we've got number one seeds, Wesley Kulhoff and Neil Skupski taking on Marcel Granales and Horatio Zabayos. Um, whilst in the other one, the number four seeds, Ivan Dodik and Austin Krychek will be taking on uh, the 11 seeds, um, Kravitz and Puitz. Max just mentioned that Venus Williams picked up a Roland Garros mixed doubles title back in 1998, which she also adds to her mixed doubles title in Australia of the same year. And wow. I, she's two she's two mixed doubles titles away from having won a Grand Slam in every, every category except singles, um, Australia and French. I think she should focus on that if she like is in if she's really kind of targeting the actual twilight of her career i think a mixed it's, doubles title it's is exactly 25 years 25 years since she achieved it so yeah. uh that's something okay um all right so miles before you go uh, a couple of things but which obviously of the matches that we're uh, looking forward to tomorrow which are you most excited about singles or doubles any I think I'm most excited about Mukova and Pavluchinkova. It's just something about a way Pavluchinkova can smack a return. And Mukova's serve, especially her second serve, does hold her liable of, of doing that. Something about it was maybe maybe the nostalgia of watching Pavluchinkova, especially beat Mertens in the round before, like she did. They were really good slow mo's of her just attacking second serves. And I love seeing that. She's, she's, She's relentless. She lets you into the match. And I think it could be very interesting because Mukova can massage the ball all around the, the court. And if Pavlichenko was moving well, she can slap them hard. So I think that'll be my match of the day, potentially. That's going to be an early start for you then because that's 4 a.m. your time. I can make it happen-ish. You <laughs> <laughs> can make it happen. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, would, I would probably agree that that's probably the most interesting match happening uh, tomorrow, um, although Svitolina and uh, Sabalenka is very close for me. It is close. I just the, the political undertones make me kind of just want to not not watch it because I'm probably I'm, I'm going to watch it, but I, I can already see where things are going to go, regardless of what happens at the very end of that match. I can already see the 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 tweets from journalists and dissertations about why this is wrong and all that stuff. Yeah, I just. Can avoid uh, it. <laughs> I think the doubles match that's probably most interesting is Bushkova Cerebos Tom against Malakar Martinez and Perez because it's a huge opportunity for whoever wins that one. Very much so. Yeah. I, I hate that I hate that all of that controversy happened in a doubles match. I feel like it was uh there's a there's an old saying I want to use right now, but it's on the tip of my tongue and I can't I can't quite get it. Mm -hmm. It was just it it was made a bigger deal than than it had to be by all parties involved. Literally every single person involved just made that whole moment bigger than what it had to be. And I also don't love the fact that um, the doubles players, Cerebes, Tormo, and Bushkova are necessarily like receiving the, the brunt of being evil or terrible sportsmen. I think they had a bad moment. I think that's, that's, yeah. pretty, that's pretty non-negotiable. Like they definitely should have butted out of that whole situation. But in terms of, Bushkova, she's won the Sportsmanship of the Year award in 2020, and I don't feel like that was I don't feel like that was a fluke. I, I I feel like she's a good sportsman. I just think that that was a moment that everybody allowed to get way bigger than it would have had to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I I can see why. I mean, my overall take on the situation is the default was the correct decision. I wasn't impressed by the behavior of Bushkova and Sribas Tormey. 
Mm. I don't think the... I think the default was the right decision based off of the reaction of the ball girl. If the ball girl had literally just been like, oh, like you hit me and wouldn't have reacted. I'm not saying she's right or wrong for a reaction. She's probably a teenager and was overwhelmed by the moment of everybody kind of looking at her and having her be the star of the show. When in actuality, ball people just kind of don't even factor into the equation very often in, in tennis matches. I feel like that's where most of her um, emotions came from. But had she not had that reaction, it probably would have been something we wouldn't be talking about right now. And mm-hmm. that's that's where the, the rule gets muddy because are we ruling based off of people's reaction or people's actual action and intentions? Because, yeah. because Kato's action and intention was so run-of-the-mill, so unordinary. It was the reaction of the ball girl and to make matters worse, unfortunately, the the highlighting of it by Bushkova and Cerebes Tormo. And Cerebes Tormo, never... yeah, Cerebes Tormo in, in, indicating that there was blood was really a step over bounds because, like, I'm not saying it's impossible that a, a ball getting hit at you would cause blood, but that particular scenario, I can't imagine her actually bleeding from that. Yeah. Uh, look, with the... Regardless, um, we could also add that to the list of things chair umpires missed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, we circle right back round. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Miles, thank you for coming on. Um, when's the next episode of Tunes to Tennis coming out? Tomorrow, actually. I did a, a midweek review with one of my good friends, Stephen, who uh, has the has Roland Garros as his favorite tournament to watch and talk about and all that stuff. So we go over the first week shenanigans, including some of what we just talked about with the double scenario, some really, some really good runs and the names that kind of made, made their mark in the first week. And that'll be out tomorrow. Brilliant. So everyone check your, check your Spotify's or wherever, or Apple music or wherever you get your podcasts from. And the latest episode of tunes to tennis will appear. Um, and talking tennis isn't going anywhere. Stick around, subscribe um, for more content. We've got commentary tomorrow coming for um, definitely for Alcaraz City Pass. Um, maybe more, we don't know yet, but uh, definitely Alcaraz City Pass with um, Shrihari and uh, James. Um, and uh, then we've got the last ball drops happening tomorrow. John is back um, for that one. Um, maybe someone else as well, but um, special guest as well. But we'll have to wait and see before we confirm anything to you on that. Um, well, thank you all for being brilliant, um, for contributing to the conversation, and thank you, Miles, for um, your m- very helpful insights into uh, te- the world of tennis. We'll see you all tomorrow. Take care. Take care, guys. See you later. If you enjoyed this video, make sure you hit that like button. Don't forget to subscribe and click that notification bell so you don't miss out on all things tennis. Podcast Network. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.